did Brian Hillier do wrong? Are you asking me technically, or, or what, what do I see that he did what wrong? What did he go to jail for? Oh, now you really are testing me. Um, the, 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 the reason the club got relegated was, was twofold. I mean, essentially, they were paying players off the books. One club would offer a player X amount of money, Swindon would offer them the same amount of money, and then possibly offer them something towards their wedding reception, you know, or maybe a bit of money towards a conservatory on the back of the house was probably part of the issue. But then there was also a case involving Macari and Brian Hillier. I think I met Hillier bang on Swindon to lose a game, which they did lose. But they were in the third division at the time and they were playing Newcastle in the cup away. Like I said, I'm I'm a bit wary of getting the details wrong, but I think Hillier probably went to jail for the financial mismanagement side of it. Yeah. Ardiles knew nothing of it. Uh, he may well have known. I don't think the, prob- the problems were historical by the time he joined. Yeah, yeah. Um, he may have known that there was a pending court case or pending kind of action coming down the road. Yeah, but um, I don't think he was he was anybody involved as such. So at this time, yeah, you're a teenager. Your football team has just been promoted from the second tier to the first tier. The judgment yeah. of the case means that the club were initially relegated for these illegal payments. Yeah. That was then suspended by the grace of the FA. The FA? Yeah, I think so. so in the Football League. I know it was the FA, yeah. So one of the only two... I remember Stevenage were promoted, but their ground wasn't at Football League standards. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. The, the team that was neither promoted nor relegated in that season... And yes, what I've got is 35 illegal payments to players. Yeah, So, but just because, exactly, that's right. This was mentioned in another book I read recently, I think uh, Tom Whitworth's book. And I've spoken to Tom Whitworth as well about football in the 90s. He's got a book called When the Seagulls Follow the Trawler. Yes. And I remember when Eric Cantona kicked the Palace fan. Uh, It was on the news for days. Yeah, absolutely. Was that the talk of the student union in Stoke-on-Trent? It was. I remember remember, remember being being on the... um... On the news in the, in the pub or in the student bar on the TV. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it was incredible. I remember seeing it the night it happened, coming back from the pub. I mean, and uh, it would have been sports night back then, had it on and disgraceful scenes. Yeah. But going back to that promotion relegation, yeah, we were promoted, relegated, and then promoted, if you like, because yes. we were actually, the initial judgment was not only that we couldn't go up, we were relegated to Division 3. So... We won promotion at Wembley from Division Two to Division One. A week later, they had the the verdict that we uh, we were, the punishment was we were relegated to Division Three, and then on appeal we were reinstated to Division Two. There was a massive protest march through Swindon after the verdict. Must have been I don't know five ten thousand people marched through the town uh, to the to the chant of first not third, first not third. I've got a friend to this day who knows absolutely nothing about football. Very, very proud about his lack of knowledge about football. Um, I had an old friend from Swindon. And whenever we discuss anything about football, I, you know, he says, what are you doing tomorrow? Where have you been? Or da da da. And I say, I was watching the game. Or he would just go, oh yeah, first, not third. Because that, that's his reference to football is first, not third. Because that was the way it impacted on his life as a teenager growing up in Swindon was even though he knew nothing about football and didn't get involved in football at all, that resonated with him because he could remember that when the whole town was up in arms about this. I spoke to Andrew Lorne, who's written a book on football chanting, and I think people are more au fait with some of those songs because they're sung on the terraces. Yeah. 
Just I, I yeah. didn't know that there was a song called Guantanamera. I just thought it was na 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 na. You're gonna cry in a yeah, minute. Exactly. Ditto. Yeah. Uh, La donna e mobile, which is that well-known Italian folk song, which was adapted from the terrace chant, Paolo Di Canio. Look, Di Canio. This is mercurial at best. Yeah, absolutely. Um, mercurial, mad, very divisive is another good one. Um, I was, well, you know, like I said earlier, you know, when it's your town, you defend it. So I was quite defensive as well about the criticism Swindon got for giving him the job because a lot was kind of made about, oh, you know, this guy's a fascist sympathiser, which, you know, he was, and this is, um, you know, well-known and well-documented and frankly disgusted a lot of people, including myself, but... It did feel a bit of common double standards because when he went to Sunderland, nobody seemed to really criticise him for for that. There. Oh, the miners he was just did. A bad manager when he was some people did. Some people, sorry, some people did. I'm sure, but I never remember hearing when he played for West Ham, you know, when he played for Celtic, and it yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. kind of felt, felt a bit like picking on the little guy, you know, in terms of the club, not him. Yeah, he, you know, so you, he was very, very hard to um, have sympathy for in that respect, but he was good fun, you know. It was a ride. <laughs> I remember the, the clip when he took off Wes Fodringham after about 20 minutes. Yeah, away at Preston. I didn't go to that game. I've got all, all the guys I go to games with normally, they all went that day. And I don't, I don't think they lasted much longer than Wes. I think they all left at half time because we were something like 3 0 down. And they went back to the pub. But yeah, he did that. Um, there was a famous game at the, the season we got promoted. We won the league fairly easily, but we could have won it even easier. But we, we kind of took the foot off the gas. We could have won the league, I think, on Saturday. I can't remember who it was we played, but they they blew it. And um, former Swindon player, I don't know if you know Simon Ferry, a very entertaining Scotsman who who has a very good podcast. He interviews a lot of Scottish players. He um, tells a great story about how they all went out on the Saturday night, even though they'd not clinched a deal, and they were in a club. And Decania got wind of this. So then on the Tuesday we played we played Aldershot. And uh, well, I went to that game all the shot away. And again, if we if we'd won, I think, or certainly certainly if we'd won, possibly if we'd drawn, we would have gone up, and we didn't. And he was furious, and he came in afterwards, apparently to Canio, and he said, um, "I know, I know where you were Saturday. I know where you were." And they all went, "Oh, not me, boss, not me." And he uh, turned the dressing room lights off and got the um, got the assistant manager Fabrizio to turn on a turn on a sound system with some tunes, and basically said. Dance, go on, dance, fat boy at Simon Ferry and some of the others. You were dancing Saturday, you dance for me now, dance. <laughs> and they all had to kind of do a little jig in the dressing room as punishment. Yeah, he was he was crazy, he fell out of players, a bit like Steve McMahon, but did it with a lot more charisma and a lot more entertainment and a lot more success, to be honest. So. The podcast is Open Goal. Simon Ferry, Paul Slane, Kevin Kyle, the funnier side of the beautiful game. I will... Definitely, Simon, Simon's well worth a listen. He's a very, very funny man. Very good footballer as well. Oh, yeah. brilliant. And he was one of many who passed through at Swindon Town, which is what I'm delighted to be talking about today with Gavin Brown. Ticking off a massive tick next to Swindon Town. David Squire's <laughs> cartoons have put Swindon on the map because whenever he's got a week off, uh, he always does a moment of Swindon Town's history. But, yeah. I mean, Absolutely, yeah. Uh, both of his books are in the football library. I'm sure that there will be some decorative... Uh, stills up because he can sell the prints as well of various uh, panels so I, I love his work um, but I also loved a piece written in 2014 there aren't many of your pieces on the Metro website news but not as you know it but there, there is a piece about 2014 you've left it on there 
Swindon Town played a sweeper, had a pivot midfielder, a very young Mark Cooper team. Wes Fodringham was in that team. Uh, Massimo Luongo, Jack Stevens on loan, a guy called Jordan Turnbull, who ended up playing 52 yeah. games. Is that the last great Swindon Town side, Mark Cooper's side? Oh, it was on a par with last season's that won the won the um, League Two title. I'd say, yeah, it was it was a side of it was a great side to watch. It was a side that was very very true to its footballing principles to the point of having some people pulling their hair out. I, I liked that, um, not not so much because I because I loved the style of play, although I did. It was just I loved how absolutely beholden they were to it, and it felt like they had. Well, you know, I think one of the only things you can ask your football club is that they've got a plan. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Not just on the pitch on a Saturday afternoon, but kind of on a daily basis and season by season. And, and the plan then was to to develop young players like Luongo, for example. You know, maybe, maybe take players that haven't quite found their feet in the Premier League, um, develop them and then sell them for a profit by bringing them into a system, playing a certain attractive style of football that allowed them to showcase their talents and take the club to a slightly higher level. And they really, really stuck very fast to those principles. And they'd play out from the back and Fodderen would, would roll the ball to Nathan Thompson, our homegrown captain, you know, 10 yards from net, from his net, own net, surrounded by other players. And we'd just play our way out from the back. And sometimes it'd end in disaster, but when it didn't, it was just great to watch. Well, So yeah, they were a very, very good team. On... It turned a bit sour when they, they, they kind of ran out of luck on some of these young signings and they insisted on sticking with the style of play, which, you know, quite right and good for them, but maybe when the players weren't quite there anymore and the success wasn't there, and it, and it, yeah, it, it, it ended in tears. Well, on, in, yeah, they on, were good. on 40 occasions, the goals were finished by Andy Williams or Michael Smith. I think Andy Williams is the guy whom Jeff Stelling used to, day, used to say, he's too yeah. good to be true. Exactly, yes. yeah, that's the guy, yeah, yeah. Andy Williams, yeah. Going, I think. What's it? Do you know where he Somewhere is? Somewhere in the southwest. Cheltenham. Exeter, maybe. Cheltenham. It is Cheltenham. Yeah, Cheltenham. Uh, and Michael Smith is at. I knew this until recently. I think I lost track of him. He was at Portsmouth, Rotherham. Correct. Doncaster. Oh, I'm so pleased Rotherham. you got that right. Rotherham. It means you know your ex, <laughs> ex Robins. Well, some of them. Yeah. Well, and and however, and our, Ivo Graham was very sad on this football book club. Um, episode because he recounted the fact that I'm not going to say which club he went to but following the brief reign of Martin Ling very well known that he's got problems uh, with depression Um, Williams, Flickcroft, Brown and then came Richard Wellens who came through at Man U Um, Yes yes. So take us up to Richie Wellens era The Richie Wellens era was great fantastic um, God, it seems such a long time ago now, but the last time, last time Swindon played in front of a well, a crowd of over two thousand was with Richie Wellens in charge, and uh, very successfully. So, I mean, when he came in, I think he was on quite a short-term contract. Phil Brown had basically been rubbish. Flickcroft left for Mansfield. Good riddance to him because he wasn't very good. Wellens just seemed, to be honest, at the time, I think most people saw him as the latest in a long line of cheap, unimaginative. Appointments. Uh, he does short spell at Oldham, done okay, I think, but he was brilliant. He built a really good team, um, lots of energy, high pressing, uh, very, very um, attacking. Owen Doyle up front, the Ginger Pele. Mm-hmm. 
King Jerry Yates on loan from Rotherham. Yeah, and just lots of pace, lots of goals, just really positive, ambitious football. And obviously last season was curtailed because of the pandemic, but we we were handed the league title on the points per game basis. Genuinely, some of my favourite memories of supporting Swindon last season just had a, had a really, really good campaign. Ironically, probably my favourite one was Salford, where he left us for, but Salford away, we, we played them off the park. Um, we won 3-0 and... Gary Neville was there, obviously, being one of the co-owners. I think he had Ruud van Nistelrooy there. Oh, lovely. As his kind of guest of honour on the day. And he was he was serenaded by a very large travelling contingent of Swindon fans. Something along the lines of who needs Ruud van Nistelrooy when you've got the ginger pele. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Richie Wellens' team was fantastic. And then kind of all went wrong last summer, as it did for a lot of clubs because of coronavirus. We've had... A lot of restrictions to the budget. You asked me earlier what I thought about Lee Power. I don't like the guy, but when he when he says that there's not a lot of money to spend on players, I kind of I have sympathy for for a lot of clubs, not just ours at the moment. I don't know how how a lot of lower league clubs are surviving without supporters in the in the stands. So I think the club found it difficult to balance going from League Two to League One when players are obviously going to expect to be paid more, not less both the ones you've got and the ones you want to attract. And actually budgets are shrinking because you've not got any supporters in the stadium. So it was a pretty tough, tough um, circle to square, really. And then Wellens obviously got attracted by Salford, who, whose budget is probably supplemented by means other than people coming from the turnstiles because of its wealthy owners. And yeah, he, he, Wellens left, left for Salford, so... We're reaching a theme here, aren't we? But yeah, all ended in tears, basically. <laughs> There's a piece that you've written uh, that th- those who look online, is it metro.co.uk? Is that the website? Um, yeah, this, this, this is a, a boring technical point, but we're not... The, the Metro newspaper and metro.co.uk are two separate entities. Yeah, like Mail and Mail Online, yeah. Um, yes, exactly, but yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Although less so in the sense that we don't, get all of our stuff put on their website we did have our own little website where everything did go up and was still um findable until about literally about a month ago something's gone wrong where that back catalogue is no longer there and from now on stuff is going on metro.co.uk but we have lost a lot of our archive unfortunately well hopefully by the time this show goes out we will be able to read the collected works of gavin brown uh there is a recent one where you lamented the, the, the lead para is, I know how Liverpool fans feel. You say two great things in this piece about the sudden disaster of Swindon Town. One, mm. on I follow, nobody can hear you scream. And two, mm. it looks like even the groundsman has given up. Mm. Let's, let's say, for argument's sake, that John Sheridan will lose his job. What happens? I don't know who we'd get in. Um, I don't think it would save our season I think it might be too late to save us from relegation but I think what what would happen in a tangible sense is probably some relief and just a bit of feel good factor would return however hard that is to sort of translate when when you're watching on iFollow but uh, I just think a bit of hope would return although even that's naive because I think a lot of people would say until the owner leaves as well then there is there's you know, it's the same old problem. He's just going to bring in somebody else who's perceived as being the cheap option. So how much would really change? 
But well, as I think I alluded to in that article, the, the, the issue at the moment with John Sheridan, rightly or wrongly, unfairly or fairly to him, it just doesn't seem like he really believes he can save us or even if he really, how hard he's trying to, to be honest, I don't know. And that, there's nothing more frustrating as a fan than to watch a team that doesn't really have any direction, you know? No, stasis can kill. Stasis kills yeah. dreams. I'm looking at the League One table. I know you're trying not to. No, the last... Oh, I know, exactly. Yeah, indeed. The last uh, four of six will go down. Wigan have just had the cash injection. So they're 20. Yeah. Bristol Rovers have a manager who, who indeed used to manage Fleetwood. Uh, and then yeah. Northampton Town, AFC Wimbledon and Rochdale. And then bottom of the table on Golden from Swindon. Um, mm. You can still survive. It's just a mini league. Absolutely. Do you, do you have to play any well, of those well, five I mean, teams? Look, look at Burton. Look at Burton. I mean, we're not going to catch. We're not going to catch them now. But, it, but until a couple of weeks ago, people were saying it was four from seven. But Burton had gone on such an extraordinary run; they pulled clear. So yeah, I mean, it is very tight. We're 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 five places from safety, but only three points. But it just does feel the way it's going. You know, momentum is not with us. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and but there's the big game as we talk on Tuesday. At um, God, where do they play at Bristol Rovers? Not Ashton Gate, it's the other one. Uh, Memorial, Gr- Memorial, Memorial Ground. Yeah. Memorial Stadium. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's a six-pointer, and then that's I'm just... a six-pointer. Yeah. I don't know if you heard that we, when we lost on Saturday. Um, Sheridan did say he was going to consider. He was considering his position, what? and he considered it for two or three days, and then said that he didn't want. He wasn't going to leave because he didn't want to let the fans down, which. To be honest, a lot of people kind of almost saw as him taking the taking the mickey out of fans because I don't think there's many fans that would feel let down if he left. But that's where we are at the moment, unfortunately. No, you just need to go in an upwardly mobile direction. Just seeing if there's any more uh, six pointers left of the season. Uh, Portsmouth. I think it gets pretty tough for us after that. Well, they're all tough, but. <laughs> But, well, I mean, Burton would have been seen as a six-pointer, yeah. but okay, Rochdale, Rochdale on Tuesday the 13th. And, uh, yeah, Rochdale and Wimbledon, in fact, but both away from home. Yeah. And then on the final day when, when you might need a result, uh, it is Wigan. I will, I'll yeah. be thinking of Swindon Town. Uh, I'll be thinking of the likes of Captain Dion Conroy. What's he like? Yeah. Um, Dion Conroy is a very good footballer, very good with the ball at his feet having a difficult season. He's had terrible injuries throughout his career. I think he's had two, at least two very serious knee injuries that have kept him out for, you know, uh, nine months at a time. Um, and he's not been at his best since he's come back from injuries, sadly, this season. Mm. But, you know, kind of feel sorry for the guy because it, it must be difficult trying to find your rhythm when you're recovering from such a serious injury and when you're, when you're playing in a team that's struggling. Yeah, during a pandemic, Paul Caddis, whom I remember seeing for Millwall, it's his second spell. Uh, Ziki Fry, great, great player. He was in the he was in the player on the in the team under Danny Wilson and Decanio. He was the captain of the Decanio team that won the title. Um, so Caddis is a great, great Swindon man. Yeah, very, very popular player. Maybe not not quite got it anymore. Just hate to say, but fan favourite. Well, I'm just thinking um, of people you could promote from within. Pittman, I think, has coached. Oh, I see what you mean in terms of the job. Yeah, I mean, Cadiz would be the one that people would point towards. I think, you know, before we even discuss whether he's got any ambition or ability as a coach or manager, 
just simply his his reputation and affinity with the club would give him a massive kind of head start in the eyes of a lot of people. He'd be a popular choice, definitely. I must say, as Ricky Hill's agent, I would like you to consider Ricky as manager because <laughs> he's quite local. Um, is he? Is he quite local? Well, he's in oh, Luton. I'd absolutely consider Ricky. He's in Luton. So Luton, Swindon? Yeah, it's not too bad, is yeah. it? Yeah, I could do that. Although he does have a granddaughter, so you would have to work around that. Um, <laughs> oh, really? He's been very busy with you. Oh, okay. Yes. Um, and I, I do hope you read this book. Uh, and, and, well, certainly Colin will read it. Colin will definitely get a copy. Uh, and okay. But yeah, um, who's the director of football at Swindon and why is it Paul Jewell? I, I wish you could tell me that. I'm not sure. I don't know why it's Paul Jewell. You'd think he could be the manager. If he, you know, he might step in. That wouldn't be the worst idea. Hmm. Well, and if he is I mean, manager only... against Wigan on the 8th of May. Hmm. Well, there you go, yeah. I was going to say, he's one of the only managers to have, um, to have coached a team in the Premier League and, and finished with even fewer points than Swindon did in mm. 1993. But we'll... Uh, We'll overlook that, you know. He's got a, he's got a half decent track record. Yeah. So he's there. So a lot of the argument that we see from fans of any club are social media based. Um, do you? You are on social media. Do you put in your or O A R about Swindon and do you I do. converse with these people? I, I, I do. I mean, I don't. I don't think I'm as well informed on a lot of matters as I used to be. Partly geographically, partly not being able to go to games. And part, partly just <laughs> because you mentioned the league table a minute ago, so no need to look at that. I, I am one of these ridiculous people. Who, I, I, when we lose, I basically try not to read too much about it. <laughs> so when you, when you lose consistently, that you know the inevitable um, consequence of that is <laughs> you, you're not uh, massively up up to date with what's going on. I know that could be seen as being a fair weather fan, which I guess to an extent it is. But it's it's just uh, you know not, not not I don't don't follow our fortunes. I do, but. I'm not massively up to date with the ins and outs of the kind of financial doings and toing and throwing and all this at the moment because it's just too depressing. Well, absolutely, and that, and also yeah. it's an Olympic year. What are Metro doing for the Olympics? Um, that's a very good question. We're hoping to have somebody there, but I'm not sure how that's going to work at the moment. I don't think anybody knows, do they, with um, the pandemic and whether there's going to be limits on number of journalists well, or. If you, if you so, do take yeah, it off tube, if you take it off tube, it's Japan. They're they're gonna they invented high technology, so everything well, is yeah, fine. That's exactly, yeah. Um, yeah. But, I'm, I'm definitely not going myself. I'd love to. I've been to Japan. What, what a country! It'd be great. It would be. It's going to be a real shame if they only have Japanese um, fans there. But you know, you know, totally understandable. But just such a shame for people because what a, what a wonderful country. Have you been to? Have you covered any big sporting events yourself, like cup finals or the Super Bowl? Yeah, um, no, not done a Super Bowl. I've done a few NFL games over here. Um, my colleague Nick Metcalf is a, one of, a freelancer actually, but for us. But he's done a few Super Bowls, mainly off his own bat. He's done it for us, but he's essentially gone because it's a bucket list kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I did the Euros, well, the last Euros now, isn't it, in France? That was great fun, did it, as a kind of road trip where rather than being sort of embedded with England, I tried to go to as many games and grounds as possible, which um, was fantastic experience, but made me realise what an un- unexpectedly big country France is. I think it's underrated how big France is. <laughs> but, um, no, that was great, yeah. That was good, driving around from city to city, yeah. Ah, well, I look forward to being on a train 
again. I really, this year, I don't think I've been on a train at all. Um, and not since about October, but I always get up the stairs, platform nine at Watford Junction, and on the right, yeah. there's a stack of metros where um, all the greatest social media hits have been taken. A funny headline on the splash. Someone I know once said, the metro, it's a 10-minute read, cover to cover. That's not by accident. You know, it's kind of, I think that's what the marketing department says. That's the point. That is calibrated to be a 10, 15-minute read. It's not meant to last longer than that. It's meant to last people as long as, as long as they're on a tube, stood up for ten minutes. If they can digest all the all the good stories in their new sport entertainment, then we've done our job. And I like the the pullouts on Fridays because you always look ahead to game week. Yeah, well, that, that's kind of that's my corner. I mean, my, yeah, match zone is sort of my my area really. That's yeah, that's what I put together. Yeah. It's always it always looks nice as well, and you're competing. It does, and, and I should I should credit our designers for that, Mr. Steve O'Brien and Chris Stopian, great great designers. That's why it looks so lovely. Yeah, yeah, that's very good editorial. Uh, you you are but one cog in the wheel. So are you? And I've also I think I sat for a job at the Evening Standard as well, um, or maybe I had to wait with Evening Standard journalists for the, whatever it was. Uh, what floor are you on? What floor are the Standard on? And I was going to say we we actually moved recently. Well, which is ironic because we're not there. Uh, we were on the second floor for years and years and years. We moved to the third floor and now we're back on the second. I believe the standard are on the second still. But yeah, they always have been. Yeah, second floor. When... Same as them. So if you go into, you come to some doors, you turn left for the standard or right for Metro. <laughs> that's, that's it. That is what people do on the when they're going home. Uh, they, they see Sorry, the standard piled up and they see all the Metros yeah. piled up. There you go. Maybe that's deliberate. Yeah, that's exactly. It's just like based on the office plan, yeah. Hmm. I hope more people see the Metro because it is a popular brand. And I had a, I think I heard Amol Rajan talking to the, who's the editor of the title? Ted. Ted Young. Yeah, I think it was with Ted. Um, and that was where I heard about how the Metro has to um, function. It's a functional newspaper, yeah. but it's not going away. It's, re- it's read on buses across the country. So your work yeah. and your, your sport team's work would have been viewed by, what's the circulation? Is it something like 5 million or something stupid? Uh, in normal times, it, it, its print run is oh, somewhere between 1 and 2 million, but the, the readership is calibrated by, uh, you know, um, done by the ABCs is 3 million, I think. The, the mm. order is that, Every copy is read by, you know, two point whatever people, and our readership is about three million. At the moment, the print run is reduced, understandably, because obviously there's not as many people commuting, but the returns, um, because we have to audit our returns, are very, very low. I mm. think less than, certainly less than 5%, maybe less than 2%. So we're printing less copies than we're used to, but they're all being read. There are plans to increase the print run, I think, in April. And then again in the summer, if things start to open up as they're expected to or planned to, then we're going to increase circulation accordingly. Are so, you... yeah, we, we've written out as, as well as can be expected, I think, and yeah. hopefully going to open things up again accordingly. In time for the Olympics. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to write for the Metro because it yeah. it's like a fast-moving consumer good. And the news you're selling is free news and then obviously the advertising within your section. Yeah. You've run a lot of uh, gambling adverts. Uh, you've got no problem with that. Um, no, no. Not within reason. I think it's, I think it's something, you know, our, our industry, 
I mean, and I'm talking sports rather than just uh, rather than specifically mm-hmm. newspapers. It's uh, quite hard to separate at the moment, isn't it? Whether you look at TV or newspaper or radio, I'd be lying if I said I was 100% comfortable with it. But equally, <laughs> yeah, you know, there's there's not an, an, another massive sector of the advertising market offering us money that's going to keep us in business. Do you know what I mean? It's difficult. It's a difficult one. Yeah. Yeah, it's all journalistic ethics is the main story of the next 10 years because if, if newspapers are going to be read, they still need good material in them. They need to be worth reading. I think the habit of picking up a newspaper, especially uh, when you're underground and the Wi-Fi might not work, uh, is that that would actually kill the metro, functioning Wi-Fi across the country everywhere. And then we wouldn't need a paper product. Yeah, it could be tricky. Yeah. Anyway, I'm not going to be all doom and gloom. You've got the best sex circulation in the world. No, no, I know what you mean. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, yeah, we've seen, you know, we, we've, that's probably been anticipated for a while. I'm not, not perfect Wi-Fi, wi- wi- the, the demise of Metro as, as Wi-Fi has improved. But I mean, I, you know, I live out in, I live in Brentford, so oh. I, I'm getting the, the tube in from West London. So the first half of my journey is always above ground. Yes, that's and right. yeah, you know, even even when people got phone signal, you look up and down the carriage. There's still a there's still a lot of people reading the newspaper, which is really heartening. So hopefully, when 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 their phone signal lasts, even when they're in the tunnel, they're still going to be reading the newspaper. So that yeah. reminds me of my definition of success, which is to walk down Oxford Street unmolested, but able to buy a three thousand pound handbag. So you're able to go in the carriage. No one knows you've worked on that product because you are the assistant sport editor of this title and also humongously long-suffering Swindon fan. Whenever I read a club in the 92, I always ask for the best 11. Uh, I guess now we can ask for nine others plus Hoddle plus uh, Harry Abe Morris. But who are the 11 players that you've seen that would fit into a sweeper formation? from your time watching Swindon? So, it's yeah, it's going to be quite historic, I'm, I'm afraid. That's, that's just the, you know, the, the fortunes of the club. A lot of it's going to come from my childhood. Um, so, we'd have Fraser Digby in goal. Goalkeeper from about 86 till... I think he's with the club till the late 90s. Um, mid to late 90s. So, played played all through the divisions for us. So, Fraser Digby in goal. My, my parents named their first dog Digby because he was a retriever, oh. and like Fraser, he was always retrieving the ball. Um, Nicky Summerby, you mentioned earlier, we'll have him at right wing back. Paul Zippy Bowden at left wing back, who scored double figure goals in the promotion season despite playing at the left wing back. Glenn Hoddle, Colin Calderwood, and the other centre half would be Ooh Sean Taylor, who was kind of, you know, his. his his head made Harry Maguire's head look like a marshmallow. You know, he was kind of granite, football-headed centre-half. Is it Sean S-E or Sean so, S-H? S-H, S-H, yeah, A-U, yeah. Sean Taylor Ooh, also yes. played for Exeter, Bristol City, among others, great West Country centre-half. Scored in the playoff final win at Wembley in 1993. Um, so then we need a midfield three. We'll have Mickey Hazard, definitely. Let's put Martin Ling in there just so we can so we can sing bombing, ring a ting ting, ding a ling a ling, Martin Ling. <laughs> and the third of the three in midfield would be Alan McLaughlin, Alan McLaughlin, who played for Republic of Ireland and Portsmouth as well as Swindon. Also scored at Wembley in a playoff final, the one that unfortunately didn't lead us anywhere in nineteen ninety. He scored the winning goal. Yeah, so then where are we? So then up front. 
let's have Harry Morris. That would be good. And alongside Harry Morris, I'd probably go for Duncan Shearer, one of my favourite childhood players. Ooh. I, I hope that there is uh, YouTube evidence of this. Well, who who uh, did he play like? will be. Who did he play like? Who does he remind you of? Um, he was... Duncan Shearer was a, a bit like I was saying about Charlie Austin. One of the centre-forwards that... I'm, I, I'm not sure how much how much success he'd have in the modern era. Well, no, he'd have a lot of success, but he was um, an old-school player. He wasn't the fittest-looking footballer. But he was great in the air. He could whack them in from 30 yards. He's um, a Scotsman. Played for Swindon in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. Was bought from us by Blackburn in the year they were promoted to the Premier League when we were vying for promotion alongside Blackburn. They bought him on transfer deadline day. Barely played for Blackburn, who went on to get promoted and we didn't. A lot of conspiracy theories mm. that they only bought him because they were worried that he was going to score the goals to keep them out of the playoffs and put us in. And then that summer, they um, they sold him. So he only, he only stayed at Blackburn for about four months and they bought another Shearer instead. Oh, that's One that you're probably slightly more familiar with. Yeah, 260 <laughs> Premier League goals, Shearer. That's very interesting. Yeah, exactly. They bought that hmm. one and they sold Duncan Shearer to Aberdeen where he went on to have a massively successful career. Played for Aberdeen for years. Yeah, I remember the name. Yeah, yeah, I know the name. Yeah, um, a great player, great player, Duncan Shearer. The Postman used to be his nickname. Because he always delivered. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, great guy, great player. <laughs> um, so you're in Brentford. Um, it would be remiss of me not yeah. to ask that um, I know all about the links with, um, well, he's a gambler, Matt Benham, and Brentford have built this yeah. stadium, which will certainly is one of the best 25 in the country. I think if Brentford go yeah. up, it'll be like a Red Bull Leipzig situation. They'll be the kind of club that is a transit club. This is my new thing that I've, I invented this week. You know, like the Red Bull... Dynasty, Anderlecht, Ajax, yeah. Swindon. They're all transit clubs. They're the place where you go as to... In, maxi- as in kind of players there for a couple of years and then moving on. Yeah, you, you get your value up and you impress and you... Finishing school. Yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think that's what Brentford are doing now. That is their model, isn't it? You look at Ollie Watkins... Yeah, Ben Rama. Yeah. yeah, Watkins called up for England. And, yeah, Ben Rama at West Ham. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, Watkins called up for England. Side Ben Rama. They've got um, Ivan Tony this season. They've bought Peterborough for five million. If they don't go up, they'll probably sell him for twenty million. They do it really, really well. I think most people every season think they're not going to be able to do it again. Uh, they sold Neil Mopay to Brighton for a good sum. But yeah, they're, they're very, very good at talent identification like you said, development and players know that. I mean, it's self-perpetuating, isn't it? The yeah. club are good at it, but they're good at it because players know that they're good at it, so they want to go there for their careers. The only way that they'll get up is by not going in the playoffs, because as you know, and as Rich Foster told me, uh, nine playoffs, yeah. zero wins. So it, yeah, it's, they, it's need crazy, to go, it? they need to um, go up with Norwich, I think. I think they do, and I mean, I know, and I know I'm speaking to somebody who very, very much hopes that they won't. Um, you'll, well, you probably won't forgive me for saying. As, as a mm. neutral, I, I think it would be a shame if Norwich and Watford went, went up from the outside looking in. You know, I think it's always nice when someone else comes in and kind of. I was really disappointed. Obviously, I, I, I'm not a neutral. I guess I live in Brentford, but anyway, I, as, as, as a Brentford resident and a quasi neutral, I found it a real shame when Fulham went up instead of Brentford because Fulham obviously came down, go back up again. And it just seems to be that the 
I'm probably, do you know what? I'm probably more disappointed about West Brom going up. You know, it's just that same cabal of clubs who who go up and you kind of feel like you know what you're going to get from them for one or two years. Whereas Brentford might go up and come straight back down again. But at least there'd be that element of something a bit new and a bit different. Mm. Like you said, maybe mm. they would establish themselves and be that kind of RB Leipzig style club. So, yeah, it would be interesting to see, but they do have a tendency to, to kind of bottle it a little bit. Not just in the playoffs. Last season, they should have got up automatically, really. Blew it, had two chances to do it against Stoke and Barnsley, I think. If they'd have won, they'd have been promoted and they didn't win either game. They lost both games. So, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, and if they do go up, then that match zone on Fridays in the Metro will include some red and white stripes. And one day, I hope it will have... Absolutely. The Red Robin of Swindon Town, although it's more likely for a pig to jump over a blue moon at this rate. But you never know. I'm afraid. I'm afraid it's, it could be a long way, Johnny. Yeah, it could be a long way. <laughs> well, we're both there too. Yeah. Uh, Gavin Brown, thank you very much for coming to the Football Library. You do get your Football Library membership card with Brian Glanville's face so on it. And of course, every match zone. Oh, oh, marvellous. Yeah, every match zone ever printed. Uh, will go into the football library and they'll be stacked up. Where's the Metro printed these days? I don't know. I, I'm going to have to look that up for you. It's, um, it's moved around a few times and we have various different print sites for different parts of the country, obviously. Uh-huh. Some in Bristol, some in Portsmouth. I'm not even sure where the London one's printed. I only ask because, because I live two miles away from where Sun Printers was, which shut down in the 80s, but Watford survived the recession yeah. because we had the print ah. It was either the Mail or the Mirror. Right. Or... I'm not sure. It was Harmsworth Press down at Surrey Keys mm. when I first started. I don't think it is anymore, but I'll probably be shouted out by someone I work with. So having been given this football library card, which books will you delight in plucking off the shelves? Uh, well, my all-time favourite football book. I've got a first day. It's a first edition. Um, I bought with my pocket money when I was a child would be The Football Grounds of Great Britain by Simon English. This is a book that I've got as well. This is, it's almost, is it the issue from like 84? Uh, it's, I don't know, I've got one here. Have oh, a look. It's yeah, have a look. definitely mid 80s. It's pre Taylor Report. Yeah, so that's the interesting thing. It's, like a, it's a historical document because all these grounds have been updated or knocked down. Exactly. Do you know what? It's, I've just looked. It's post Bradford Fire, pre Taylor Report. So we're full of, Terraces, Get Your Balls by Archibald Leach. Yeah, it's the first published paper by 1985, this edition, 1987. And just for me, growing up, it, I read it cover to cover several times. Every stadium, I wanted to know about the history, what they look like now. Obviously not now, then. Um, and yeah, just part of my love for football is kind of about the periphery, you know, and the stuff around it, the, the communities and the grounds and the stadiums and mm. the all that kind of stuff. So for me, that that's probably my favourite football book, to be honest. I remember asking, I asked James Bentley, who is a Berry fan, uh, and I said, what's mm. more important, the 90 minutes of football or the 1,500 minutes around it per week? Mm. And it's it's not the match. It's the pre-match, the post-match, no. the half-time. The, it's no. the culture of football that is as intoxicating as watching it itself. And the football grounds, these yeah. uh, spectators, there's a reason the Lowry picture is one of the most celebrated pictures yeah ever yeah i've got a, got a large print of it downstairs yeah right. yeah for me exactly and, and to be honest that's what i find and i'm sure many people find so difficult with not going to games at the moment is because 
going the going to games is the important bit. It's not the game. So it's great that you can watch it on iFollow or if you're lucky enough to be a premiership team, watch it on TV. But, you know, I, I don't go to a football game to watch the football as much as I go to chat to friends and family about the football, about life, about what they've been doing since the last time we were there. I go to football to go to football on the train, in a car, you know, to go to the pub before and after. And that's all the great things that we're missing out on at the moment. So it's brilliant that football's managed to continue over the last year, but it will be wonderful when we get back to some kind of semblance of how it was before, definitely. That sounds like a Colin Murray column. I should, I I was going to look it up, but you can tell me because you edited the column. What's Colin written about uh, middle of March this week? Uh, this week, he has written about Wigan, the takeover of Wigan. Mm, you mean the club who could relegate Swindon Town at the end? Exactly, the of yeah, absolutely. But mm. I think the, the, the little rant I've just gone on, I think both Cobble and I have probably written something along those lines, probably more than once in the last year, to be honest. And of yeah. course, Colin being a Liverpool fan, you both can sympathise yeah. with each other. Well, this is it, yeah. Colin hasn't read about Liverpool much recently, it's funny that. Hmm. Like how how mysterious. Moving, yeah, strange. <laughs> Keeping yeah, <laughs> but yeah, keep yeah, Colin on staff sure because right. his book's in the football library. You know his random history of football. Oh yeah, good <laughs> is the correct answer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, and if Colin is listening, I would love to get him on because I would just sit back and just it would, it would be like interviewing like Jimmy Greaves or Eric Cantona. I'd just kind of pop up with oh yeah, and then he'd carry on because yeah. he can it wind him up and watch him go. You wouldn't need too many questions, trust me. Yeah, no. absolutely. Well, I'll, I'll give him a, a, a message. Just say that. I've spoken to your editor. Yeah. He says, you've got to come on. No. Um, oh, exactly. I'll tell him I'll tell him that I said that. Absolutely. The listener wants it too. I'd also ask him why uh, the whole of Radio 5 Live now sounds like fighting talk. But that's another issue. Well, yeah. Maybe, maybe this is all his legacy, absolutely. Just like the library! Just like the library! 